We are continuing our COVID series by looking at the impact the coronavirus is having on school budgets. And we have special guest, Capital Region BOCES District Superintendent, Anita Murphy, to tell us about how her schools are responding, plus the efforts schools and teachers are undertaking to provide resources to students and families amid uncertainty. This is Policy Outsider. I'm your host, Alex Morse. In her current role, Anita focuses on state-level responsibilities, such as coordinating statewide, regional, and local initiatives, overseeing the administration of state grants, and testing development. Anita began her career as a teacher in the Binghamton City School District and quickly rose up the ranks. Prior to coming to BOCES, Anita was the superintendent for the Altmar Parish Williamstown Central School District, north of Syracuse. And prior to that, Anita served as the deputy superintendent in both the Rochester City and Syracuse City Schools and the director of instruction in the Albany City Schools. She has also worked for the New York State Education Department as the associate commissioner. Anita has valuable insight into some of the challenges and opportunities schools are faced with amid COVID-19. Next. I'm here with Anita Murphy, District Superintendent for the Capital Region BOCES, and she'll be here to discuss with us their response and school budget responses to COVID-19. But before we get there, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, you've started your career as a teacher and advanced in your way to administrative roles. So that gives you the benefit of having perspective on both roles. Why is that important in a time like this? I started as a teacher. I've sat in a bunch of different uh, administrative roles in a, lots of different districts. Um, so small cities, Binghamton and Albany, large cities, Syracuse and Rochester. I uh, was a superintendent in a small rural district, not small by, I guess, some people's counts, but after you spend your life in the big cities going to a small rural district, I think it's a, it's a very different perspective. And I think all those perspectives help me as the leader of the region the district superintendent with my 24 districts that virtually mirror every place that I have been, understand what they're faced with right now and what they're trying to do with their budgets and maintain an understanding of the importance of a teacher in a classroom or in this way virtually, as well as the perspective of a superintendent that's trying to balance a budget in very different circumstances. All of my districts, all 24 and the BOCES, I think, have top of mind making sure that we're programming effectively and efficiently for the children that sit in our districts. And right now, that's more than just academic programming. That's kids ensuring that kids have social and emotional supports that they need, that they have um, the health supports that they need, that they have opportunities that they need for workforce development. Um, and I think if you're not a teacher, if you didn't start as a teacher, and if you hadn't worked with kids in districts in a variety of roles, sometimes people struggle to understand why we're doing what we're doing. Uh, but I think that background gives me that perspective. And I'm sure that perspective and that background is helpful because we're moving into some unprecedented challenges. 
COVID-19 is disrupting the entire U.S. economy, and that's going to have trickle-down effects all through every level, including education. So as district superintendent, what are some of the different budgeting and planning challenges facing your school districts? So I think, you know, it's different in my different districts. So when state aid gets caught in a district that is highly dependent on state aid, say in Albany City, or places like Water Valite that are very state aid dependent, it has a different impact than when state aid gets cut in places like uh, my suburban school districts like Bethlehem or um, Shenandoah, because the latter is funded primarily by taxpayers in the district, local tax base, and the former primarily by state aid. So a 10% cut in a water elite is different than a 10% cut in a Gilderland. Um, that being said, my suburban districts have been kind of um, dealing with this for a long time because of the tax cap and the, the calculation of the tax cap. So everybody is, is, is feeling this. It's just from different mechanisms. And so we really don't talk about cutting budgets. We talk about right-sizing budgets in a way that is most efficient and effective for the kids in those systems. You mentioned you had 24 school districts, so there is no one-size-fits-all approach. You need to cater to each individual school. And, and each district has its own unique needs. Um, so I have rural districts in Schoharie County that have markedly different needs and budgeting implications as we, as we enter COVID than, say, Shenandoah, right? So Shenandoah doesn't have one physics teacher. Some of my rural districts may have one physics teacher. And so... If you talk about right-sizing in one place, you could be talking about cutting a whole program versus right-sizing in another place where there's no implications for kids. And so what we try to do, I think as a region, and we have done as a region, is we're trying to stay as far away from the classroom as we can, but still giving our kids those things that are going to make them successful in you know 2020 and beyond. We understand that you know, our kids have to compete now with kids from across the country, across the world for spots in colleges and universities. Um, we've done a lot of focus on workforce development in this region and our career and technical education programs region-wide are growing because there is an understanding that all kids may not want to go to college. Um, and so you don't cut those things that help support kids and our local economies. Um, so I think that's what the districts have been doing um, as a strategy, really thinking about where they can deal with the, the COVID crisis and maintain everything that their kids need to compete in a global economy going forward. So you touched on that different districts have different concerns and that you're trying to address. So which of these districts will experience the greatest challenges implementing some of these large-scale changes? for example, moving to virtual learning? I will tell you, this region has done an outstanding job at that. Let me tell you three things that are important about the Capital District. One, we started planning for reopening before we closed. So weeks and weeks before we closed, when we knew that it was a potential, the 24 school districts together started planning on reopening and how we would do that. Two, we planned on how we closed and what we did together so that we didn't have districts with advantages and districts with disadvantages. So as an example, 
we created a website called Essential Education for teachers that helps give them planning tools for planning standards-based lessons with kids. And that we have hundreds of teachers working on. And then my districts are very gracious. We have opened that up to, to every teacher in the state. So any teacher in the state can go on this website. They can look at third grade. They can say, this is where my kids are. And there's support for them to plan lessons, right? We know that everybody was in different places with distance learning and the use of computers. My region planned, for example, the deployment of technology together. So feeding kids, childcare, all done with all 24. So if a district say at first was having trouble getting meals, other districts were pitching in and helping. If districts were having trouble with securing childcare, we ran point centrally as a BOCES working with our local childcare council to make sure that anybody who was an essential worker had childcare if they needed it. We did the same thing with, you know, meal planning, with the educational planning. Um, and they're, they're helping each other every day with anything, name it, soup to nuts. We also have a committee that's been working for weeks and weeks and weeks on reopening. We've produced a guidance document um, that all the districts are using. We have a group of superintendents planning each of the operational parts of reopening. And we're planning for all potential scenarios. If we can and we hope we can open in the fall with all kids, that's planned. If it's a hybrid, that's planned. If it's virtual, that's planned. We bought um, MiFi de devices to help our districts and did coordinated computer purchasing and Chromebook purchasing. So I think really it's not about, it shouldn't matter where your zip code is and it shouldn't matter where you live. This region has really believed and continue to believe that 24 working together is a whole lot more powerful than 24 having to do it all on their own. Speaking of that, is that a unique advantage that the Capital Region BOCES schools have over other school districts? Well, I think it depends on what part of the state. I think I have two things that some other BOCES do. I have very seasoned superintendents in this region in some of my districts, long time superintendents, but in a lot of different places. And we have brand new superintendents, first superintendent. We have, a, um, I think, an advantage in that we have a good mix of folks. I have a very strong team here that has been running point. Our, we have our assistant superintendents are meeting, what started every day, now it's three times a week. Our business officials meet uh, three times a week. Our directors of technology meet three times a week. Our communications professionals meet three times a week. So it's not just the superintendents, it's really penetrated. And like I said, we have teachers, 200 teachers every two weeks working on these um, planning documents for other teachers because I think um, we've done a good job coordinating efforts and because the leaders are here that are here in the Capital District. So I'm sure that other places are doing good work too. We just happen to know about ours and I have a massive communications department and our communications department really has been the linchpin to all of this getting done, I think in, in that way. Sounds like preparation, planning, everything involved just from the beginning. Like you mentioned you had a plan for reopening before you even closed schools. That's right. That, that requires a lot of discipline and foresight. 
I think so. I, I think it also just, it's, a, it's about strategy here. I'm a firm believer if you're chasing your tail, you're never going to see your nose. And so probably been some wasted things that we planned that we didn't need to do. But I would rather be overplanned than underplanned. That's for sure. You know, we order our PPE together for the 24 districts. And we started ordering those things in the first week of closure, thinking this could take a while, right? We know PPE is not in, in large supply. And so if we're eight weeks out with ordering PPE because we planned on it and ordered it before anybody said, oh my, you're going to need PPE for everybody, we would be eight weeks behind. So now we're eight weeks ahead. It's really impressive. Thank you. I think we've done a really good job. I am extraordinarily proud of my team here at Capital Region BOCES and really proud of the superintendents in this region and our central office staff and our teachers. Our teachers and our staff developers right now are working on summer enrichment for parents and kids that, again, will open up to everybody in the state. Any parent wants summer enrichment and they'll be themed around a theme for the week, you know, the, the, a week at the zoo. And we have virtual field trips and we have educators curating things. And this is meant to keep kids away from a screen, cooking lessons, and, but all with an academic undertone so that parents and families can enrich children's educational experiences. That wouldn't be possible without our teachers. That wouldn't be possible without my staff development staff. That wouldn't be possible without coordination. So I'm really proud of the folks in this region. They, Capital District has really stood up here. And it also sets the foundation for the future of learning. I know that virtual learning is, is probably going to be in the forefront moving forward. So you're, you're really setting yourself up for success there. I think the other thing though is, I'm, I'm pretty sure that no educator believes that this can take the place of a teacher in a classroom with children especially our young children, right? But it certainly can supplement what we do every day. Um, and I think it's a mechanism for us to understand that some kids learn differently. And sometimes kids that schools haven't been able to engage, those kids are now engaged in this for lots of reasons. Again, I don't think that we believe, any educator believes that the future of education is sitting in front of a screen all day with you know, 30 other kids sitting in front of a screen, but it sure can help with enrichment and it sure can help with you know, helping to catch kids up and it sure can help with kids that have to be home for a variety of reasons. And it sure can help when you're planned when you end up with a situation like this. So um, our teachers have done phenomenal work. I'll be very honest with you, everybody wants our kids back. We want our kids back. We want to be able to look them in the face. We want that day-to-day -day contact with our children. I think we all do. I think we all want to get back to where we were. Can I, can I just say one other thing? Yeah, of course. I think we have to look at this situation, the whole situation, not as a problem, but as a, as a solution to a problem. And the reason I think we've been able to do what we have done um, our teachers, our administrators, our principals, is because in the worst of times, there's always something good that can come out of it. And we've been looking at the good in this, and it's been horrible, right? It's horrible for kids, it's horrible for adults, but 
you know, we've looked at for the silver lining through this, and I think we found it. So I, I appreciate that um, you've given us the opportunity to, to talk about that silver lining. We could all use some good news. I agree. I agree. Thanks again to Anita Murphy, Capital Region BOCES District Superintendent, for coming on today to discuss the challenges and opportunities her schools and schools around the state face. Although there's uncertainty, that doesn't stop Anita or her colleagues from planning to ensure students, families, teachers, and staff are prepared for what's next. You can check out the Capital Region BOCES resource for K-12 educators to support remote learning by visiting essentialed.capitalregionboces.org. That's essentialed.capitalregionboces.org. The website houses educational resources and lessons mapped to priority curriculum standards for K-8 math and ELA, middle school science and social studies, and regions courses. You can also check out the reopening guide for the Capital Region BOCES. Links are posted in the description. Stay well and stay safe. I'm Alex Morse. Until next time. Policy Outsider is presented by the Rockefeller Institute of Government, the public policy research arm of the State University of New York. The Institute conducts cutting-edge, nonpartisan public policy research and analysis to inform lasting solutions to the challenges facing New York State and the nation. Learn more at rockinst.org or by following Rockefeller Inst, that's I-N-S-T, on social media. Have a question, comment, or idea? Email us at communications at rock.suny.edu.